Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. So we live in a really cool place. I mean, we get to see things here that are wonders to me. Have you ever just stopped to think about all the stuff around us and how we believe in a God who created it? And God made this world so beautiful and complex. God can create a falcon that can drop in flight on its prey 240 miles an hour. 240 miles an hour. I mean, some of you have not gone 240 miles an hour. I'm talking about on I-4. I'm not talking about in a plane, okay? (laughs) And then off the coast of Florida, there are fish who can swim 70 miles an hour. How many of you can bench press your weight? Come on, guys, let me see your hand. I know we got some lifters. Okay. Can you bench press two times your weight? Anybody bench press two times your weight? I don't see any hands, because if there was, we have a liar in the house. (laughs) And we would stop and pray. Did you know an eagle can carry four times his body weight in flight? That's not to mention... A hundred billion stars show up in our galaxy known as the Milky Way. A hundred billion. Some will say even up, could be up to 400 billion. And yet the Bible says God knows every one of them by name. And some of you can't remember your three kids. I mean, it's just amazing. The wisdom of God. It's unbelievable. Here's a great quote about man's wisdom, Okay. So basically, this, this author said, every man is a fool for at least five minutes every day. Wisdom consists in not exceeding the limit. Five minutes, okay? You get five minutes. It's just striking to me that we're in a letter called 1 Corinthians, where Paul is talking about the wisdom of God. And he's saying to the Corinthians, guys, the reason you guys are so divided, you got the wrong person in the chair. And let me go back to the chair for those that might not have been here last week. The chair represents that place in every one of our lives that is the heart, the center of our being, the the place where we go when we need to know what to do. It's the one or person or thing that influences you most. It's the filter you run everything through. It's really at the heart and soul of who you are. So for them, in Corinth, they had people in this chair in their life. One of them said, well, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm of Cephas. That's Simon Peter. Another said, I'm of Apollos. He was a brilliant Greek. Others say, no, I'm of Paul. And then even some were saying, I'm of Christ, but it wasn't in a good way. It was more of an egotistical way. So the question is, who's, who's in that chair? You see, when you think the wisdom of the world or the wisdom that you have is what rules, you, you're in the chair. The wisdom of this world is in the chair. 
But if you've come to the place to realize, no, I want the one who is the wisest of all in this chair. Then what happens there is amazing. J.I. Packer says it this way. He says, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal, together with the means of attaining it. In other words, wisdom is when you begin to be able to see what God sees. And you'll be able to understand a little bit of what God has in mind for you. So wisdom is just seeing as God sees. And that is determined by who's sitting in this chair. Now, Paul's going to say in the text we're going to read today, there are two things you'll never figure out. You think you're smart, you think you're wise, there are two things you'll never figure out. Number one is the cross. How he could do that for you. Why he would do that for you. Number two is that he called you to himself. That God wants you. That you'll never completely wrap your mind around that. So Paul is basically setting up those two things as exhibits to look at for these people to say, look guys, there is no one you should follow except him. And here's a couple of great examples. He says, we live in a fallen world and we're all sinners. And by sin, we mean anything that disappoints God, anything that's rebellion toward God, anything that separates us from God. And there's only way to be, one way to be restored, and that's through what Jesus did at the cross. So basically, the world is made up of two types of people, according to Paul. Those who are in a fallen state, and they're perishing. And those who are in a fallen state, and they are being saved. And I can tell you how you know the difference, whichever has Jesus sitting there and whichever ones don't. It's really simple. So as you read with me, look at what he says about the cross. And we're going to start with just those verses, okay? And then we'll pause for a moment before we read what he says about us being called to him. So first of all, 1 Corinthians, in the New Testament, obviously, chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 18. Okay, so everybody get a phone open, own uh, a book in your hand called the Bible, whatever way you choose to follow along. But I want you to watch it. I want you to notice it. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, I will, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Hmm. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Of this world. For since the, in, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God. Through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness 
to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. May the Lord add his blessing to these words. I'm going to tell you right up front, I'll never understand the cross. I mean, I hate to tell you how many years I've been to school and how many degrees I have. But I will stand here and look you in the eye and look into that camera and tell you, there is something mysterious and wonderful about the cross of Jesus. It's unlike anything else. So he starts there and says, you know what? The cross just seems like folly. It seems like foolishness. And he names a couple of groups. Okay? But let me tell you what's crazy about the cross. The power of the cross is in death, not life. The power of the cross is in death, not life. The cross of Jesus, it was in his death that the power came. It's in your death. I am crucified with Christ, Paul says. Therefore I live, but not just me. It's Christ in me. It's in death, not in life. You will find the power. But then this, the result of the cross is life, not death. It results in power and life. So have you ever considered the cross? We have it on buildings, on this one. We have it on shirts. We have it everywhere. We wear it as jewelry. It's an execution means. It's a form of death. It's like wearing, in the old days, a guillotine around your neck. It's like wearing the electric chair. It's like wearing lethal injection, a syringe, you know, as jewelry. Who would do that? How can you believe in this horrible death on a cross, that it, that it matters, that it does anything. That's what Paul is saying. He said, that's why you're divided. But when Jesus sits in that chair, you understand a lot more about that cross. The two groups that he mentions that were having trouble with it, the Jews. Oh my, do not talk about the cross in Corinth to the Jews. Why? It was a stumbling block. The Jews wanted a sign, he says. They always wanted signs. Even when Jesus walked on this earth, they said, hey, Jesus, give us a sign. Basically, that meant, hey, give us a sign and we'll believe that you are the Christ. Well, Jesus said no. Now, guys, think about this. Jesus could have levitated them. He could have, I mean, he could have done all kind of cool stuff. If any of us had been in that moment, man, we'd have been whipping out that, hey, watch this mountain, watch that move. Jesus didn't do anything. He said, I'm not giving you a sign. I'll give you one sign, the sign of Jonah, which is what? Jonah was in the belly of the whale. How many days? Three. How many days was Jesus buried in a tomb? Three. Guess what? The sign of Jonah is when Jesus walks out of the grave, he's going to say, I told you, listen to the message I bring. So there's something about the desire to see a sign. And then to think that the cross was the way is a stumbling block for a Jew. Why? Because people who die on the cross are cursed. It's Old Testament. It's teaching in the Old Testament. They knew that. 
And they believed, even if a man or a woman were guilty of a capital offense and needed to die, then you've got to make sure their body is taken off of the tree before sundown or else you will defile the whole land. Look at this scripture out of Deuteronomy. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. Now that's what they grew up with. That's what the Old Testament taught. So how do you think they felt the day Jesus was hanging on that cross and claiming to be God? There's no way. Even Isaiah predicted they would say he is smitten of God. Smitten meaning he's cursed of God. He's hanging on a tree. You bet he is. And was he cursed of God? Yeah. Because Paul does something absolutely amazing when he helps us understand why the cross is a stumbling block. By the way, the word stumbling block is the word scandal. Scandalon is the Greek word. It's a scandal. It's crazy. But look what Paul tells us. Galatians. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. Do you see that? That's talking about Jesus. He became a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Just quoting the Old Testament, which they all knew. So here's the good news. Jesus Christ hung on a tree and, yes, endured a curse of the sin of the world, and God judged that sin, and the wrath of God was poured out, and he did it as a curse for us so that you and I could live in freedom forever and ever, and we could live right with God, not cursed of God. The idea that the cross was where God died, and that is a place of curse, yes. And I'm so glad it is. Because that means I don't have to go there. You don't have to go there. I will tell you this, stay as close to the cross as you can, because it's a place where the wrath of God will never be. You know why? Because it's already been there. And you will live in the freedom that that cross brings to every one of us. So that's what Paul is saying to them. This sign, this cross means that you are free. You don't have to deal with the curse of sin. The second group, he said the Greeks. They thought the cross was foolishness. It didn't make any walking around sense for them. Why? Their goal was wisdom. But their goal was the wisdom of the world. Okay? So that's why all the philosophers. I mean, you've heard of Plato. You've heard of Socrates. You've heard of Aristotle. I mean, you've heard of some of the great philosophical founders. I mean, the movements that we know of today that were founded in Greek thought. Well, they thought that the way, if the gods were involved, the way that you overcome is to raise yourself above suffering. Remember the Stoics? The Stoics believed, hey, do not show emotion. When you go through pain, don't you dare show emotion. That means you're weak. And you rise above pain. And you rise above. They had these, the platonic thought idea of, yes, there is the heavenly realm and there's an earthly realm. And do not let the earthly realm touch your life. And then all of a sudden, God 
comes down and dies on a cross? Do you know how Greeks process that? They're thinking, wait a minute, the gods live on Mount Olympus. They don't ever come down. And you're telling me God came down and he, <clears throat> he's been here? <clears throat> and, and we're supposed to believe in a God that died? <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm trying to get these demons out. <laughs> you're going to talk about the cross. The enemy's going to show up somehow. Well, let me tell you about the cross. The Greeks believed God couldn't die because he had to be up there separate and apart. Christianity teaches us that Jesus Christ came and became one of us and he walked among us so he could identify with us in every sin we go through, every temptation he faced, we face. And yet he without sin became sin for us so we would know and be the righteousness of God. And so this part of the story for us is the amazing part. When Jesus was at his weakest, when Jesus was at his most vulnerable, my goodness, he's dying on a cross. He's bleeding out. He's suffocating, however you want to describe it. When he was dying, he was not weak. He could have called 10,000 angels in that moment to set him free, and he didn't. He prayed for forgiveness for those who were doing it. My goodness, in that moment, what we can't see is he was defeating the enemy, Satan, and all of the evil that the world would ever know. He was defeating him in that moment on the cross. And in that moment on the cross, he was forgiving every sin that you will ever commit. Every sin you've already committed. Every sin of every generation, every sin of mankind from the beginning of time until the end, he was forgiving sin in the weakest moment. So tell me that the weakness of God is not more powerful than the strength of this world. It is far greater, far greater. And it's something you won't understand. I can sit here and tell you, I love the cross. I just absolutely am overwhelmed at the cross, but I do not understand the cross. I don't. It's too big for my mind to wrap around. But I'm not going to ignore it. And I like what Oswald Chambers, when he wrote my utmost for his highs, he said, all of heaven is interested in the cross of Christ. The angels are. They long to know about those things. Hell is afraid of it. You want to shake up hell? Talk about the cross. Because they know what that cross means. It means the defeat of every evil power. Hell is afraid of it, while men are the only ones to ignore its meaning. I'm begging you, for Jesus' sake, don't ignore the cross. Just because you don't understand everything doesn't mean you can't believe there are a lot of things you believe you don't understand. You understand love? Guys, do you understand the way of a woman? Come on, be honest. I know I just started meddling. Guys, there's all kinds of things. I don't understand how I knew Rachel was the right one, but I am more convinced today she is the right one that I am of my own name. And I can't understand how that happens. I just believe, and it happened. I'm telling you, you believe in the name Lord Jesus, and you put him in that chair in your life, and things will make a lot more sense than they ever have.
I know there are people that say, I want to wait till I understand it. I want to wait till I understand it. I, David, I can't believe in something I can't understand. Well, do you live in a house? Do you understand how the house was built? Do you understand how electricity works when you flip a switch? Do you understand how a car works? Oh, my goodness, no. There's so many things we don't understand. We just crank them up. We just turn it on. We just go. I'm telling you, when you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus, a supernatural thing happens to you. And that cross becomes a dear thing to you because you, even though you can't explain it, you know something happened there to change you forever. And so I would say to you, yeah, I'd love to be able to explain it to you. But I'm telling you, you'll understand it when you believe it. And when you believe it, you're never the same. So Paul holds it up and says, hey, here it is. And this is what makes us one, the cross. Not that we understand it, but the cross. And then the second thing is your calling. Think about your calling. Let's move to the next part of the passage, which is verse 26 down to the end of the chapter. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The other thing he says is, look at your calling. Okay? Look around you. Look around you. If you were putting together an army that was going to take over the world, would you have put these people in the room? You say, well, I don't know them. Well, you know you. You know your family. How about the first 12 disciples? Fisherman, tax collector, zealot, one who never even would believe in Jesus. Would, would that have been the group you would have chosen? No. Here's something we've got to understand. He didn't call you because you were what he needed. He called us because we were what he wanted. There's a big difference. You are not called to him because he's like, oh, man, i got to have them. Uh, if I don't have them, the kingdom is going to be tottering. It's not going to be steady or stable. He didn't look at me and go, man, David, I really need you. I mean, it's really important that you follow me and you become a, a pastor because without you, I, I don't know if I can save the world. How dare we think those thoughts that we bring something to him that he had to have. No, 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 no. I will forever revel and rejoice, not in the fact he needed me because he didn't, but in the fact that he wanted me because he does. He loved us. He drew us. He took the foolish things. Yes, that's us. How well did you do on your ACT? He took the foolish things. 
You want me to tell you about some of the stupid things I've done? No, we ain't got time for that. <laughs> Ask Rachel. She'll tell you. Every once in a while, she looks at me and goes, wow, that PhD was wasted on you, wasn't it? I just, it just, <laughs> we all do those stupid things, right? He took the foolishness of who we are, and he used it to build a kingdom and to confound the wise. Because you know what? No person on this earth can explain the change in your life. Nobody can explain that change. There's only one. You understand it, and it was because of the grace that he gave you. That is something more powerful than anything else. You say, well, it was behavioral, and it was just like Pavlov's dog, you know, when the bell sounded, the saliva started to flow. Oh, really? How do you explain people walking out of a drug house and never walking back in and forever following Jesus and never picking up a joint, never picking up a drug again? How do you explain an alcoholic who walks away from alcohol and all of a sudden becomes the man he was intended to be or the woman she was intended to be and starts living for Jesus for the rest of their days? How do you explain the change? When you figure it out, then you can explain how a butterfly comes from a worm in a cocoon. Because the beautiful word metamorphosis is a word of what happens to all of us. You know, when I think of my life, I, this is my verse. He, told, he chose something foolish. Man, I remember having moments where I'm like, God, there's no way you could use me. I remember sitting in a service with a date because I had to go to church one time a, a week. And I remember sitting there in this service and she looks at me and she's crying. And I said, what's wrong with you? And she said, I, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm a Christian. And she was referring to what the guy was saying. Here's my response. Okay, that's between you and God. All I know, don't embarrass me in this church. Stop crying. That's all I could say to her. Now, you explain something to me, how God could take that kid in full rebellion to parents, to God, to everything right. And he could say, I'm going to turn you around and I'm going to turn you loose and you're going to lead people to the way of salvation. I don't understand that. And I don't have explanation. I am lost in the mystery of that, but I believe it because I've lived it. I've seen it. And what Paul is saying to us, he wants you. So don't look at me or look at him this morning and say, yeah, but I've messed up. Oh, really? So had Paul. The guy who wrote this murdered people for a living. He messed up. David, who is the throne of David, Jesus will sit upon. That king had adulterous relationship, murdered the husband. The list is long. Look at all these people in the Bible. They're messed up. They're broken. And there's not a one of you listening in this room or on this stream that God can't transform, and he loves you, and he wants you. So let's celebrate. Yes, that's a mystery. I don't understand it, but I believe it. And you know what? When Jesus comes in that seat in your life, you get everything. You have everything you need. We evaluate our life like the world does on performance, 
on skills, on abilities. I mean, we've, took, we've taken the test. We've all taken those tests. Strength finders, all the things that we take to try to figure out what are our strengths, what are our weaknesses, and all that. And that's good stuff because it helps you. But can I just be honest with you? According to the world's evaluation, you're never good enough to serve God. You'll never be good enough. In fact, according to those who know you best, you'll never be good enough. Well, I got news for you. Where you're completely inadequate, where you completely lack, where you completely have nothing to offer him, he has everything to offer you. And what he's about to say to them is when Jesus walks in and sits in that chair, you get everything you need to change your world. Everything comes with knowing Jesus. Look at this verse, verse 30. And because of him, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us, we need wisdom. He gives it to us. The ability to see and understand as God thinks and as God sees, you get that. Right standing with him, righteousness. Yes, that doesn't mean perfection. That doesn't mean you're pure and holy and you never make a mistake. No, it just means you're in relationship with God and you have right standing with him. You're a son, you're a daughter. You're who the king says you are. And sanctification. What's that big word mean? It just means you get to grow closer and closer to Jesus. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The longer I know him, I grow more like him. He wants that for every one of us. And then redemption. What's that? The curse. It's broken. Can I just tell you the curse is broken? Hey, Somebody help me. The curse is broken. Can we celebrate that? We don't have to live under a curse. We've been redeemed. We've been bought. That curse was the judgment of God. It was condemnation. It was the wrath of God. When you stand in the cross, hey, wrath's already been there. It'll never be there again. You are a child of the King. And you have been redeemed. And all of that comes in believing in the Lord Jesus. It doesn't come because you understand it. It doesn't come because you figured it out. Oh, I got this figured out now. Nope. You know what he says at the very end of this passage? Let the one who boasts, boast in his understanding. No. Boast in his wealth. Nope. Boast in his family. Nope. You can put whatever word you want. All the success, all the achievements, all the great things you've done for this world, boast in that? Nope. Let him boast in the Lord. That's all. Because every good thing came from above. The Father who loves us. As John Piper said it, what was once foolishness to us, a crucified God, must become our wisdom, our power, and our only boast in this world. Today, you're going to hold in your hand a reminder of what we have to boast about. And you know what it is? It's not your diploma, not your certificates, not your diplomas and all that stuff. Nope. It's not a check. It's not a bank account. It is a cup that contains something to remind us of the blood of Jesus and the body of our Lord broken. 
And what we will hold in our hand in this moment, though it is reduced in this moment, obviously, to just a little cup, something plastic, but what, what it represents is the boasting point for every one of us. It's the only thing we can boast about. He did this for us. Because on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. And as often as you eat the bread, remember me. He took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this cup, remember me. So today, for everyone in this room that's ever put their faith in Christ, you've ever said, yes, I believe. No, not that you understand at all. But you have believed. If Jesus is sitting in that place in your life, he's in the chair. Then you know what this means and you gladly take this. If that's not a description of you, maybe you watch today. Maybe you think about it. But for those of us who have had that moment where we say, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I believe in you. This is our boast. Father, would you bless this as we eat this bread and we drink this cup? We remember you, Jesus, and we will never boast in anything else. In Jesus' name, would you eat the bread and drink the cup? When you leave in a moment, there'll be trash receptacles. You can drop those in, so don't let them worry you right now. How do you thank somebody who did that for you? How do you respond to a story that for some it's a stumbling block, for some it's crazy. But for those who believe, it is the power of God to change our life. If you've never put your faith in Him, you believe. You believe. You just say, Jesus, I believe. And I think there's some on the stream, there's some in this room that I, I just got a feeling you've never taken that step of faith. You've been waiting to figure it out. You're never going to do that. But if you believe, you're, you'll be shocked at what happens. So I'm going to invite you today. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And maybe for the first time, I want you to say, Jesus, I don't understand everything you did. But I believe in you. Can we bow together right now? Just tell him this, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth to die on a cross. Thank you for dying for me. I don't understand that. But today, Jesus, I believe that. Jesus, come in my life. Sit in that chair. Take control. I'm going to follow you the rest 
of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. You know what? I believe if you prayed that prayer, he heard. And something happened. I always love it when people say, hey, explain that moment. How does it happen? I don't know. I had a woman one day tell me after she had prayed, she said, it's got to be more complicated. There's nothing I have to do? I said, no. She said, but I feel like I need to do something. I said, okay, go run around the church three times. <laughs> By the way, her son called me last week. It's been years since I've been with him. You see, I would stand here and tell you to run around the church if that's what I, you had to do. I'm telling you, it is a gift, and it is a gift that you will never fully understand, but it will change your life forever. I just know this. I was born into a broken world. I was a sinner. So how do you deal with your sin? How do you deal with your own failures? Well, I'm going to go to church a lot. That doesn't work. I learned how to sin in church. I mean, when you go to church a lot, you got to figure that out, right? Well, if you give a lot of money, that's not going to do it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Why does your offering or your check move the heart of God? Well, I'm going to be nice. Well, good for you, but it's not going to take away your sin. Well, I'm going to get some good friends and hang out with them, carry a big Bible. Well, good for you. I'd probably recommend you carry the one on your phone, but that's okay. There's an old hymn that answers the question, what can wash away my sin? Say it, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.